Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is a show where we look at Superman and Batman stories from throughout the years. And those stories are mostly chosen at random and mostly from the pages of World's Finest Comics. And despite the fact that this is episode 25, which is kind of a small milestone for, I would say, just about any podcast, I hadn't planned on doing anything special. But it seems that fate had something else in mind, because when I spun the randomizer, it came up with a story that is among the highlights, uh, be it famously or infamously, of not just the Silver Age, but the entire run of World's Finest Comics. And in addition, it's a story that You know, before the first episode of the show even came out, I knew I wanted to cover this at some point. So when it came up for the topic for episode 25, I I knew there were bigger hands at work. And I decided to make the show, or the episode, extra special by calling in some help. So it is my great pleasure to welcome to the show one of the newest voices in the world of Superman podcasting, the host of Superman Forever Radio, Mr. Bob Fisher. Michael, thank you. Hello, everybody. What a pleasure to be here. This is great. And like you say, getting to talk about one of the highlights Mm -hmm. of World's Finest and the Silver Age. Ah, this is going to be a great show. I'm looking forward to this a lot. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Now, since your time as host of Superman Forever Radio is still fairly new, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about the show and maybe about yourself and what you talk about? All right. Well, uh, I got very lucky in that, uh, one, I've been a Superman fan since 1956 is when I call it my year of uh, uh, sentience. When I, it's the first I remember actually uh, learning about Superman and reading Superman. Learned about him from the Adventures of Superman TV show uh, in my generation, being born in the 50s. That's how most of us came to know Superman first. And then the comics, secondly. So um, that's really my introduction to Superman was the show. And some comics in a barn, in my cousin's barn in Manio, North Carolina, is where I first fell in love with comic books. And if you want to hear that whole story, here's a plug. <laughs> <clears throat> As you mentioned, I am now the host of Superman Forever Radio podcast. And episode 79 is my first episode taking over that show from the awesome J. David Weeder. And uh, in episode 79, I go into my origin and how I actually got totally into comics and was hooked from the tender age of four and my mother teaching me to read those comics. So um, uh, that was an amazing thing with J. David, by the way. Um, Wanted to move on and do some podcasts of other types, including his Daredevil podcast and some other things that J. David Weeder is doing. He's so good. He is so... Mm -hmm good and out of the blue on facebook one day he left me a message and asked me if i would uh, be interested in taking over superman forever radio he had heard i was interested in doing a podcast and had thought about doing a superman one and he asked me if i wanted to take over his show so i've done five of them now started with episode 79 just uh last week released episode 83 So um, what I'm basically doing with the show of Superman Forever Radio is taking an aspect of the character of Superman over his long history, 
and just talking about it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, unlike um, uh, a lot of shows where uh, we'll do great synopsis of shows and stuff. I'm going to basically talk about the character itself, himself, and talk about certain aspects of him or of his character. Uh, last week, I did Jimmy Olsen. We talked all about Jimmy Olsen, how he came to be, and is he a sidekick? Do you think he's a sidekick, Michael? No. No. Good. See, I don't either. Kind and was, of. Well, he has portrayed yeah. and he has played the sidekick in certain stories. Right which is the conclusion I came to. But I would not put him on a list of, like, top 20 sidekicks. I would put him on a list of uh, top 20 stories that he was played a great sidekick in. But Elastic Lad is not Superman's sidekick. No. You know? Jimmy Olsen, the reporter, is not his sidekick. But he has been... So anyway, that's there. That is Superman Forever Radio right there where we just talk about certain aspects of the character. I'll give my opinions. Eventually, I'll have some guests on who will say, well, Bob, you may not be totally right. Right now, I'm <laughs> depending on, on email and feedback for them to say, well, no, I think he is a sidekick. So that's what I'm doing now with that is Superman Forever Radio, roughly bi-weekly, where I basically talk about Superman and uh, – some aspect. One of the shows coming up I'm, I'm uh, looking at is uh, his powers of vision. Uh, oh. Well, it's really weird, and I'll, I'll give you a little sneak preview right here for your audience. Ooh. You may not have thought about this. Superman and Batman exclusive. Exclusive. You know, the height of, of Superman's power levels was in the Silver Age. I mean, he was a god, literally. Right. There was not much he couldn't do in the Silver Age. And I couldn't find it. But I know that there's a story somewhere where he's sitting at his desk at the Daily Planet on a boring day, apparently, and starts to daydream, but uses his supervision to foil a criminal plot on a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> he used his telescopic vision to look into space, finds a planet, uses his x-ray vision in combination to look through buildings, zoom in on people, sees a crime in progress, uses his heat vision to set a thing on fire which called wow. local authorities to come and save the day. Wow. From his desk in Metropolis <laughs> in real time. <laughs> yeah, I love Silver Age physics. God, I love them. And as a kid, as a 10, 12-year-old kid, like the comic we're reading today, it did, it did not occur to me at, at the slightest that, oh, well, he can't do that. Right. No, it was Superman. If he could do it, he can do it. It's that simple. And it was just, I loved it. But I haven't been able to find that story. And I've been Googling and searching uh, Mike's amazing world of DC Comics database, trying to find uh, that story where Superman uses just his supervision powers. <laughs> To foil a crime on a different planet. It's not ringing any bells for me, but if I if I, if I come across it, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, but isn't that amazing? Mm. So, so that's me. I'm Bob Fisher. I host Superman Forever Radio, and it's easy to find. Go to supermanforever.com, supermanforever.com. Check it out, folks. Um, Thanks for the plug. <laughs> a, a question came up when you were talking just now, and, and 
I don't. I may edit this out. I don't know. But do you have, given that you grew up watching Adventures of Superman, do you have any uh, recollections or remembrances of when George Reeves died? Absolutely, uh, vividly as it happened yesterday. Um, I was seven. It was in '59, basically, uh, late '58. So I was six or seven. I was almost seven years old, <clears throat> and I came across the radio the morning after. And uh, my mother was in the backyard, and we had this uh, swing door, this back door, screen door, that made this wonderful creaky sound and then slammed. And she would always yell, don't slam the back door. But I was listening to the, uh, I was actually coloring. I remember I was sitting on the floor coloring in a coloring book. I had the radio on, and they stopped and said, Superman is dead. Superman shoots himself. And I remember running to the backyard crying, Mommy, they say that Superman is dead. So then we had to look and find out, and, and my mother tried to explain, you know, to a kid how Superman can die. But yeah, I remember that vividly, and uh, it shook me up because it didn't make sense to a little kid. How can they say he's dead? Because that afternoon I watched him on television. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it... it uh, it was that was my first, you know, death. The first that. What do you mean he's not coming back? What do you mean he's gone? And it happened to be Superman. So, yeah, yeah, it was tough. But uh, you know, it is too bad because I think George Reeves today would be amazed at uh, what he did for my generation. The yeah. numbers of people he influenced. And not just guys like me, but, I mean, you know, big-time people who went on and did things with their life. Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams. I mean, people of my generation that saw him. And to him, that was Superman. End of discussion. And as good as Christopher Reeve was, to a lot of us, uh, you know, I, I love Christopher Reeve. I think he looks and his entrance on screen grabbing the helicopter and then Lois and putting her down is one of the best Superman sequences ever filmed. Agreed. Ever. Ever. But you ask me, and in a split second, if somebody says, who is Superman, my mental image are two. It's George Reeves and Kurt Swan. Right. Uh, then I'll go down the list and I'll say, oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But instantly, in my brain, in my mind, it's George Reeves and Kurt, and Kurt Swan. But, uh, yeah. Well, moving on to some more happy discussion, I guess. Happy! Um, <laughs> knowing that you were a fan of the Silver Age and that you did grow up reading these, I thought you were you, you were one of the first people to come to mind for this story. Because this time, we are going to be looking at World's Finest Comics number 142, which is <laughs> the first appearance of that universally beloved character, the composite Superman. <laughs> According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released on April 30th, 1964. And the issue was edited by Mort Weisinger, and it's got a June 1964 cover date and 32 pages for the price of 12 whole cents. Our cover is by Kurt Swan and George Klein, and Bob, why don't you describe the cover for him? I love this cover, except for the, um, the black text bar on the right. Yeah. Um, but the cover basically shows Superman, Batman, and Robin 
looking up as the composite Superman is flying down towards them, and uh, his left arm is slightly invisible. He is obviously dressed in his wonderful composite Superman, half Superman, half Batman outfit with the green face, and shooting a lightning bolt out of his right hand, knocking the tail section off of the bat plane, which, by the way, I think is probably the worst part of the most troubling part of this uh, is that the perspective is to me a little off on the cover. Uh, The composite Superman is flying down basically in the same area as Superman, Batman, and Robin with the bat plane in the background, but the lightning looks like he's shooting the tail right beside him. So there's a little perspective off there. But overall, I think uh, it's not a bad cover, except I would have done something with that black bar on the right side. But I'm not a big fan of a lot of text on a cover anyway. I like just a graphic, a big graphic says, buy me. <laughs> Same here. And, and really, that's my, my only significant complaint is the same thing I say about all the Weisinger era covers and that there's just too much text. Too much text, yeah. yeah. More Weisinger liked to make sure that I'm going to tell you every. You don't need to tell us any. You got a guy in a half Superman, half Batman costume shooting lightning bolts with his left arm invisible, yeah. busting up the Batmobile in front of Superman, Batman, and Robin. You don't have to tell me he's got the powers of the Legion of Superheroes on the cover. No. I can see that. And, and then explain all of those powers, too. And then explain them, right. Yeah. But, but uh, thank you, Mort. The, the art is great, and if I were a kid in 1964, this one would have definitely gotten me interested in reading the story inside, so it you know it does what it's supposed to do. Got me. Well, I would have bought it anyway because it had Superman on the cover, well, and yes. I was 12 years old. Right. Uh, Superman but I, and Batman. And Batman on the cover. And um, uh, the spinner rack at Jeffrey's Pharmacy, Richmond, Virginia, Broad Street. Spinner rack. Well, actually, it wasn't a spinner rack. It was one of the little racks that had magazines and comics on it. And it was near the um, little fountain where they had a little, it's a drugstore. And in the back of the drugstore, a little fountain where you could get, you know, sodas. And uh, boy, I'm really dating myself. Anybody call them sodas anymore? I feel like Andy Griffiths. Hey, Barney, let's go get us a soda pop down at the filling station. But, <laughs> but literally, it was a little, little drugstore in the back of the store. Uh, I eventually got a job working there and would sit back there at that counter reading comic books. But um, that's where I got the first one. Jeffrey's Pharmacy, Broad Street, Richmond, Virginia. Bought it right off the rack. Very cool. 12 years old. <laughs> well, turning inside, our 18-page story is by Edmund Hamilton, Kurt Swan, and George Klein. As I've said before, they were the regular creative team at this time. The mighty deeds of that great team, Superman and Batman, have made history. But now, the deeds and powers of the Man of Steel and the dynamic duo are dwarfed, and their great careers are endangered by the incredible powers of the composite Superman. As we begin, Superman and Batman and Robin return to the Fortress of Solitude and Batcave, respectively, to find signs claiming someone knows their secrets and leaving details about a meeting. The next day, the heroes converge atop Black Mountain and come face-to-face with a being who introduces himself as the Composite Superman. The creature looks like Superman on the right side of his body and Batman on the left, and he possesses powers like those of the entire Legion of Superheroes. 
He tells our heroes that he knows their secrets, and unless they allow him to join them as their third partner, he will expose their secret identities and ruin their careers. With no choice, Superman and Batman concede, and the composite Superman flies off with sinister plans in mind for our puzzled heroes. Later, composite Superman sabotages a movie set, causing five prop rockets to go out of control. Superman and Batman each stop one, but are left humiliated when the composite Superman stops the other three single-handedly. The Man of Steel then is further embarrassed as the composite Superman sabotages a high-rise restaurant and then converts part of the building to green kryptonite, so Superman is is unable to save it. Composite Superman later flies to Gotham City and uses his abilities to find and stop some bank robbers, which leaves the dynamic duo looking like fools. As the composite Superman laughs about his belittling of the world's finest heroes, time folds backwards for the origin of our colorful fiend. And we meet the composite Superman when he was simply Joe Meech, failure. After being saved by the Man of Steel from a near-fatal high dive, Superman gives Meech a hand by getting him a job as a janitor at the Superman Museum. Being surrounded by the mementos of Superman's awesome career only worsens Meech's self-hatred. But one fateful night, during a storm, lightning strikes the museum, and a display of Legion of Superhero statues, transferring the powers of the entire Legion into Meech. Fueled by jealousy and self-hatred, Meech uses his powers to disguise himself as the composite Superman, and vows to humiliate and end the careers of Superman and Batman. Part 2 the combined powers of the mightiest superheroes of all time are turned loose against the dynamic duo and the Man of Steel. And there's an amazing and unexpected climax to the battle between titans. Suspecting the composite Superman is up to no good and might start making trouble in the neighborhood, Superman and Batman formulate an overly complex plan involving robots and fake danger all of which ends up being moot because the composite Superman can turn invisible, read their minds, and all manner of other things, which leaves our heroes right back where they started. Only worse, because the composite Superman threatens to expose our heroes if they ever show their costumed faces in public again. Regardless, Superman, Batman, and Robin resolve to keep fighting, and spend the next few days monitoring the composite Superman's actions as he gathers various metals in one location across the globe, constructing his very own fortress and plotting global domination, as supervillains are wont to do. Anyway, Superman and Batman suit up, make their way to the stronghold, and face off against the composite Superman. The villain easily gets the upper hand, but his powers seem to grow weaker with every attack. Returning to the museum, the composite Superman tries to recreate the accident that gave him his abilities, but finds his powers have faded too much to create a lightning strike. With his memory fading as well, he attempts to scribble a note to himself about what happened, but passes out before he completes it. Sometime later, our heroes give up their search for the composite Superman, figuring his memory faded along with his powers. While back at the museum, Janitor Joe Meech finds the half-written note in his own handwriting and puzzles about what it means. Will the day ever come when Joe Meech remembers and the composite Superman returns? Only time will tell. The end. So, Bob, what are your overall thoughts on this story? Wow. 
<laughs> there is so much. Uh, overall, it's it, uh, it it's almost a little sad. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah. It, you know his his motives uh, are are a little weird once he gets the powers, but here at the end, losing them and and you can almost see it draining from him. Uh, that uh, had he not been such a jerk, um, I think it's always weird when they do stuff like that, make the the bad guy a little sympathetic or something at the end. So here's Joe Meach, and I love how they describe him in the beginning. Joe Meach failure. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, I love the story as a whole. I think it it flows. It it's quick. It moves really quickly, and it's very uh, dense. It's really there's dense. a lot in it. But you're right; it does flow very quickly and very smoothly. And the fact that there's very little um, um, pomp, circumstance, very little, you know, through, and in the comic world. I mean, we always hear about uh, who would win, Superman or Superman or, and they're always putting people against Superman. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was Doomsday that eventually killed him in the comics. But this guy beats Superman and Batman rather easily. Yes. Could have put them both away at any time. And um, that is just kind of, you know, I mean, that's the part of the story. He humiliates them and wants to beat them, but he does it so easily, so quickly, so, you know. So I guess we could say that the Legion of Superheroes combined could beat Superman <laughs> <laughs> with the intelligence of Brainiac 5. Yeah. But, uh, but overall, I think that's the, that's the real key is that what they've done is, is answer that kind of a question, uh, what if Superman versus blah, blah. And in this time... That's what they've done, and there is a lot going on. Uh, your your synopsis was beautiful, right to the point, Thank right you. through it. It was smooth, and I was curious at how you were going to get it all in because <laughs> there are several things on two pages in the middle of this thing that there's a lot happening. Yeah, well, I, like I told you before we started recording, I did kind of breeze through certain sections, but you know, I, I was trying to keep it tighter, but. We'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, but but I love this story too. I mean, of all the stories covered on the show to this point, and you know, I've had good stories and bad ones. Right. But but of all the stories covered to this point, this one gave me the most excitement when I was reading it for the show. And mm. I was trying to remember when I first read this because I feel like I've read a color version at some point, but the only version that I could find that I own is the showcase reprint. So it's mm-hmm. weird that I feel like I have memories of reading a color version when I probably probably haven't. But anyway, this this was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I love the character. I love the story. I know he's completely silly. And I know there's a certain section of fandom that doesn't like him. And, and I recognize why that probably is. Mm-hmm. But, you know... <clears throat> His appearance of being half Superman and ba- half Batman and having all the, the powers of the Legion of Superheroes is just classic Mort Weisinger era Silver Age ridiculousness, and I, I don't care. It's, Me neither. It's, it's a fun character, and it's just a really enjoyable story. I agree, and I had read this – well, obviously, I read it in April of 1964 right. for the first time, and many times – since I have the showcase, so I didn't read it in the black and white 
thing, but I do have it. I've looked at it. Um, I thought too, I thought it was in, uh, uh, a giant open, uh, one of those 80 page giants. <clears throat> I don't know if you have any of those. Um, but I meant to look, I've got, uh, all of those and world's finest. There are several world's finest 80 page giants. And I thought this made it, but I didn't remember Mike's amazing world mentioning that as where it had been reprinted. Yeah. I thought he just mentioned the showcase, but I thought it had been reprinted before in color somewhere too, because I know I don't pull out the original every time I wanted to read this thing. Right, right. So, uh, but uh, I've read it many times over, but I haven't read it in years until uh, you got in touch to say, hey, you want to do it for the show. Mm -hmm. But I had already put it on the tablet for <laughs> reading in the future. I've got about 25 world's finest comics that I had gone through and just slipped them over and put them on the tablet. Ah. And this was one of them. This is always going to be one of them if there's a world's finest grouping that I'm going to read. Yeah. And uh, then when you got in touch and asked if I wanted to do this, I went, oh, <laughs> gee, let me think for about a nanosecond. And, uh, but reading it over the last couple of days for the show, um, uh, I, I, like you, I thought, yeah, there's some Mort Weisinger silliness here. There's, uh, um, you know, there's some, there's some uh, Silver Age physics at work. Well, definitely, right. But man, what a fun read this was. I, I enjoyed it right down to the green skin, uh, you know. Which, which they, uh, at one point in the story of Robin, very specifically points out that he has green skin, even though it should kind of be obvious by that point. But Yes, and when Robin points it out, yeah. <laughs> he says green skin like Brainiac 5. <laughs> not like Brainiac, not like Martian Manhunter, not right. like you know, all these other green people that we have in the Silver Age. <laughs> he specifically went to the Legion of Superheroes, which they did throughout this whole thing, which I thought was funny. Every time Composite Superman used a power, even if he used it twice, we knew from the splash page he has Lightning Lad's power. But every time he uses a lightning, it's, I'm going to use the power of Lightning Lad, who has the power of lightning bolts. <laughs> so, uh, just, I love it. Yeah, And it doesn't hurt that this is Kurt Swan at the top of his game. At the absolute top of his game right which, here. Which with leads, George Klein inking it. Yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah. leads nicely into my first page-by-page -page note on page one, which is just a great splash page that really shows off the character of composite superman uh, my first note on page one capital letters love this splash <laughs> <laughs> shows off composite yeah. superman tells us everything we need to know right here on this page who he is how he got his powers and what he's gonna do with them and it's kurt swan there's only one other there's another panel later in the story that shows all of the statues with superman and uh, uh joe meach Mm -hmm. as, as a normal guy when Superman was just giving him his job. But we'll get to that panel where too. They, yeah, where they very, you know, lay out exactly what the statues are. But anyway, yeah, we'll get yes. to that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, page two, Batman's reaction to finding the Batcave or the, the finding the sign in the Batcave was interesting because first he yells at Robin about it. Well, he doesn't really yell at him, but he gets after him and Robin's like, it wasn't me. I, I'd never do that. And, and then when he's in Commissioner Gordon's office, first he's completely completely distracted, but then second he thinks 
Superman knows the Batcave's secret, but surely he wouldn't pull a joke like this. Yes, he would! You jerks did this kind of thing to each other all the time in the Silver Age. All the time in the Silver Age. Did you forget Superman's birthday party? Yeah. (laughs) Action Comics 241. There it is. You broke into the fortress and messed with stuff, and you even hung up a sign that said, I know you're Clark Kent, and I'm going to expose your identity. (sighs) Yes. But beauty of Silver Age is it's it's doesn't matter what happened this week. I got right. a story to tell next week. Right. Or vice versa. Doesn't matter what happened last week. I got a story to tell this week, and I want it to be this way. Done. Yeah. Uh, it didn't matter though. I didn't didn't miss a step over that. I love that kind of stuff. Even though you're right, I also think it was funny that Batman continues that when it, when they finally do get together. Uh-huh. Page. Three, I think. No, it's page two. When Bat, when they finally do get together, at the bottom of the page, Batman doesn't even confront Superman, saying, "Did you do this?" He then immediately assumes, "Oh, you must be a victim of the same right. prank." Well, earlier on the same page, Batman, you were accusing Superman of doing this. Why don't you ask him when he shows up at the place the guy told you to show up? <laughs> There's Superman, and you don't say, "Superman, did you send? Did you do?" No, it's just, oh, you must have been a victim by the same prank. Incredible. Just incredible. Also, my notes on page two. I love the fact that um, uh, this was the time, during this time period, uh, Bruce Wayne is, uh, his secret identity is not just millionaire Bruce Wayne. It's millionaire playboy, socialite Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. And how do you show that someone is a millionaire socialite? Ascot. Ascot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you put an ascot on him. So that's one of my notes an here. Ascot on- and probably some sort of robe. You can't really see below his chest. No, but, but it's probably wearing like a house, house coat or something. Yeah, so a robe, a dressing gown, a smoking jacket. Smoking of jacket, stuff, yeah. Some kind with his. Uh, but they don't show him smoking the pipe. He dropped the pipe sometime in the 50s. Yeah, uh, probably with the comics code, wouldn't you think? I think it was sometime in the comics code, but in the golden age, Bruce Wayne would always smoke a pipe. He'd always have a pipe when he's in the Wayne Manor. Uh, In fact, the first panel we ever see of Bruce Wayne with Commissioner Gordon in the golden age, he's smoking a pipe, Mm -hmm. which with an ascot. I love it. Uh, I also like on the second panel of that, for some reason, I always liked uh, the way Kurt Swan would draw Batman in costume, but the cowl hanging back. So he's got the full costume on, but the cowl's not on his head yet. It's just kind of laying back on his cape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always liked that. And as a kid, I used to try to visualize, how does Batman put it on? That means that the material <laughs> must be stretchy, but it doesn't look... And then it, you know, so I love that scene. So the scene right after, there's them looking at the bat signal in the sky, talking about it. Now they're in the bat cave next panel and uh, looking at the sign uh, perfectly printed. Nice ink, nice text there. Yeah. And um, Batman's running and accusing Robin. I just love that look of him with that, with the, and I don't know why. It's just one of those little weird things. I've always liked that look. Batman yeah. in his costume with the cowl back. Mm-hmm. And only one glove on. So and only he, one glove. He's yeah. carrying the other glove. He's, so he's still suiting up. It's, it's a nice, getting, nice transition. He's getting ready to slap Robin with it. <laughs> For playing this trick. Come <laughs> uh, a meme. There you go. Page three. Composite Superman clearly looks like Superman in the face. And he's wearing a mask that covers less than a quarter of his face. So I'm not sure why Superman thought X-raying the mask 
would actually be helpful at this point. But I think this is one of the funniest panels <laughs> in the history of Superman comic books. Because exactly what you say, on the le- on the right side of composite Superman, even though it's green, it's Superman's face right. on the right side. Complete with the spit curl and the hair part, everything. Everything. It's Superman. On the left side, it's the top half has Batman's cowl on it. The bottom half has Batman's bottom chin. Okay. <laughs> oh, I just it- noticed. I just noticed. Yes. Th- it is Batman's chin. It's because Batman's Kurt chin. Swan draws their faces different, as we see later in the issue. Yes. It is, wow. It's Batman's chin, okay? But it even goes further than that when you break this whole panel down, <laughs> okay? Because Superman thinks, while using his X-ray vision, to look through the quarter of his face that is not <laughs> visible because it's behind the bat cowl. Superman thinks, oh, I can't see his real identity because it's lead-lined. Yeah. Okay, I'm trying not to laugh here really hard, but how can it be lead-lined? Because if we go, he's using his chameleon boy powers to create the costume and the look itself. He uses Saturn Girl's powers of telepathy. He knows that Superman is Clark Kent and Batman is Bruce Wayne. Under the cowl, he's probably still looking like Bruce Wayne. If Batman could, or Superman could see through the cowl, he'd see the top half quarter of Bruce Wayne's face. If Chameleon Boy's power did the, you know what I'm saying? So he's got the power of Chameleon Boy is what's creating not only his face, but the costume itself. So is he also using Element Lad's power to make the cowl lead line to protect the one quarter of whose face? Bruce Wayne's face? Or is he keeping his real Joe Meech face under that quarter of the cow? And from that quarter of that eyeball and half nose, Superman will go, oh, that's Joe Meech, who I've never met yet. Uh, no, in, he, he uh, had met him oh, at this right. point. That's right. That was a flashback, so they had met. You're right. right. Caught him and saved it. Right. Okay. Who knows how long it had been. Yeah. So. And it, it, that one panel, Superman x-raying the quarter Pay face mask of Batman on a guy using a chameleon boy's powers. It's hysterical. Hysterical. So what else do you okay. have for that page? Uh, good question. <laughs> I don't know. I might have laughed so hard at that. I don't <laughs> past it. It's Kurt Swan. I love the I love the panel at the bottom, the three of them on the left. Mm-hmm. Robin up front and Superman and Batman, just the look of it. And this is where he points out, yeah. It's no dream. It's it's it's, it's a terrific mystery. Who is he? Where who did is he come from? And yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Who is he? Where did he come from? And where did he get all those superpowers? And did you notice his face was green, like the like the face of Brainiac Five? Exactly. And that's my other note where I already said why didn't he go to all the other green possibilities? Uh, but they're they're sticking with the Legion, so there's no Justice League. And why wouldn't he have thought? Hey, he's got the powers of you know flash and uh, although there's no justice league lightning bolt members are there mm, mm, no not uh, at this point okay so he couldn't have confused them with justice league okay but, but still and it's still and that's basically what i have more of that is that the, i have robin talking about uh, brainiac 5 the green face and more just kurt swan the the last panel though looks a little funky of <clears throat> so, uh, the composite superman flying away a little bit. A little. He looks a little thick. 
Yes. Yeah, a little thick, but uh, but I'd still use it as a cover page. Oh yeah, picture. Uh, pages four and five. I thought they did a good job here and throughout the story of of setting up situations where the composite Superman could utilize the abilities he has from the various Legionnaires. And yeah, like you pointed out, he has to talk his way through each specific power, like, I'm turning invisible, like Saturn Girl, and <laughs> right. lightning bolts, like lightning lat, you know. But I, I'm glad they took advantage of the fact that he, he does have more than just Superman's power set. Yeah, I think the triplicate girl thing later was just brilliant, was just really, really, really done well. Yeah. Uh, what I have here for four and five, uh, again, it goes back to Kurt Swan. I love these um, 50s future rocket-looking things. Uh, the rockets, they're just so, they're big and bulbous and roundy and, you know, half of them though look just like whiskey bottles with fins on them. But uh, the main one just looks beautiful. I love the, the rocket, the, that old time future looking uh, spaceships. Yeah. Um, but I also have uh, things that, hmm. The question of um, these are props for a movie. These rockets are, quote, props for a movie that really work. Right. Again, only in a Silver Age comic are we going to shoot a movie about space and have working rockets. (laughs) So Composite Superman is able to use his invisibility kid powers to then change the settings of the working prop rockets to go and do what he wants them to do because, of course, the controls are where? On the outside of the rocket. Well, of course. Of course. Where else would they be? Yes, I thought of Superman the movie, too. <laughs> Miss, Miss Tessbacher going to be sit, laying in the middle of the road? Uh, uh, you want to see a long arm, Otis? You want to see a really long arm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that scene is what, that's what reminded me of here in yeah. you know, changing the course of a rocket. On the outside, it's just hysterical. Uh, and that's really what I have. Again, it goes back again. Kurt Swan. I keep saying this. Kurt oh, yeah. Swan. Kurt Swan. But yeah. I love the fact that the invisibility powers and the controls on the outside of the rocket. But uh, oh, and then if we go to page five, um, I already captured this. I'm going to put this one up as my uh, profile picture. That on page five, the first panel. Oh, the like the the shoulders up shot, yeah. Yeah, the shoulders up, really Superman, great. Batman, Compa. I'm going to use that. I've already saved that. I'm going to use that. And and it's, even, it's even obvious there that Kurt Swan is drawing him the the left side of his face as with Batman's jaw. I'm not sure how I missed that. As Batman, previously, but wow. Yeah, um, and that that to me, that's why I think that other panel just was so funny of yeah. Superman <laughs> trying to see who he is under the mask when it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> it's just hysterical, just hysterical. But that's what I have also on this. Uh, again, more rockets, more fun Kurt Swan artwork. Yeah, and how yeah, they I love that center panel. And they move the story. That center panel is wonderful, wonderful. That he used triplicate girl's powers, mm-hmm. splits, and then in one panel of the uh, that center panel uses the three different composite Superman take care of three rockets three different ways. Uh, just done really well. Yeah. Good. Done well. It also shows that Kurt Swan at this time also was also drawing a lot of Legion stories too. Yes, he was. So uh, those were also some wonderful things. So I think that's why he's so easy with it here. Uh, he's, he knows these characters. 
So, uh, and, and Hamilton also wrote some just, I mean, some Legion stories, I think. So, um, I need to research him a little more, I think. Ed Hamilton. Gee, if I had a Superman show, I'd talk about him. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Well, moving on to page seven, uh, we get into the origin of Composite Superman. Did you have anything before we get to the actual origin part? No. Nope. Right. Uh, but the the origin, you know, it's it's very DC Comics, but it, you can also see some Marvel influence in the broad strokes, too. Yeah. Um, this was 1964, of course, so the Fantastic Four and the Marvel Universe had been around for, I guess, about three years and were pretty popular. And I think this is maybe one of the earliest examples of DC kind of being influenced by that. I, I don't want to say that they were aping it because I don't see that at all, but maybe some of that influence kind of working its way into DC. Yeah. I, I noticed that too, uh, on as an adult now reading back through these with hindsight at the time in the, in the sixties, uh, by the time in 1962, when Marvel really started kicking into gear with Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and all the new creations, um, I was firmly entrenched by that point into DC. And every time I would even think about <clears throat> reading a Marvel comic and looking at them, I felt kind of weird. It was like, if I read Thor, I thought, you know, I should be reading Superman. If I read the, you know, Avengers, I, I would be thinking I should be reading Justice League. It's just that weirdness, and even to this day, uh, I have um, I have a hard time in getting through a Marvel comic and really enjoying it. Huh. I, I like their movies and stuff, and I like their cartoons and all that stuff. But sitting down reading Marvel comics, uh, I still have a problem with that, and it's really weird. It's got to all be psychological, <clears throat> because um, uh, well, they, last, they are very different, very in a lot of ways. As a kid. Um, my cousin, I have a cousin, uh, he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but uh, he was a big Marvel uh, head. He loved Marvel comic books, and he started with DC, but he was a little older than me, and when Marvel came out, he took to them like it was just the greatest thing ever invented. And I would look at his comics, and not even reading them, just looking through them, my first thought was too many thought bubbles. I don't care what they're thinking that much, especially when in DC Comics, the thought bubbles were, how do I save the day? How do I stop the bad guy? Right. Marvel Comics were, how do I get Mary Sue to go out with me if I've got all these weird powers? She's going to think I'm a freak. Oh, poor me. I'm a superhero. I didn't want to hear a superhero complaining about the fact he's got superpowers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to read about a superhero who said, cool, I got superpowers. Let's go save somebody. Definitely. And the two worlds were weird, and I just never really got into Marvel. Yeah, and I got to say that's a really – it's really refreshing to hear someone say that because, you know, with no disrespect to anyone who enjoys Marvel Comics over DC, you know, right. so, so often you hear people um, saying they got into the Marvel Comics because they were so much more realistic and, you know, they, they had people dealing with real problems while being superheroes. But, you know, for me – the reason I think I gravitate to DC more is because they are more about the fun and just, you know, enjoying having superpowers. So Exactly. And as a 12-year-old kid, uh, and my heyday was really 10 through 14, those, those you know, four years or so. Uh, that's when I really, as, as Shag will say, those were my joy times. Those were the times when I still to this day, like reading this comic, I laughed and smiled all the way through this comic book. Good. And... 
<clears throat> I, you know, I don't always get that. I enjoy other comic books. And as an adult, I've read, and like I said, last summer, Comixology, um, you know, did that thing where they literally gave away 700 number one Marvel comic books digitally. Wow. I, I got them all. I went, they crashed their system because so many people were trying to get them and they, they, just, they just gave them away for free for free wow. for free. I have in my comicsology account. Now I have about 850 comic books, 800 of them. I got free wow. 700 Marvel number one comic books from almost all ages. Uh, digitally, they just gave them. And I thought, well, this would be my perfect opportunity. And when I heard, for example, that John Romita Jr. was coming to write, to, to draw Superman, first thing I did, because I don't read comic, I don't read Marvel comics. I didn't know. I thought he may have drawn Captain America. I didn't know. But I went to Comixology. I searched for his name. And there came up like three dozen of my free comic books that had him drawing them. Huh. So I looked at them and I thought, well, that's Captain America. Wow, he looks pretty good. I hope he draws Superman that well. That's really nice. <laughs> so uh, that's how I knew John Romita Jr., not from historical, not having read him. But when they announced it, I go to Comixology. They gave me a bunch of free comics, and I looked him up. Wow. But, but that's my difference with, those, uh, with, with Marvel and DC is because of that very thing. I thought, and it is a funny one-liner that Marvel had too many thought bubbles, but that really is what it was all about. DC seemed to be doing stuff, saving bad, you know, uh, catching the bad guys. While Marvel was having great fights and catching the bad guys, the whole time Spider-Man was throwing out a one-liner, he would say a one-liner, which was funny, but then he'd be thinking, oh no, all these terrible things about, you know, his girlfriend and his friend at school and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> oh poor me I'm a superhero with spider power <laughs> sorry never got into it sorry Andy Leyland <laughs> I never really got into Spider-Man so uh, it, so that took us off track and I do have a note on page 7 by the okay, way go ahead it said uh, my note says uh, nice to see uh, uh, some loving for uh, Jimmy Olsen I think he used his elastic lad power mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah <clears throat> You know, so we got a Jimmy Olsen thing, and then on the next page we have Jimmy, uh, we have Lois Lane and Jimmy, just the actual guys. So that was nice for them to make an appearance. Yeah. So, uh, so Joe Meach is a janitor, not a janitor. He becomes a janitor. He's a high dive artist, which is really random. <laughs> yeah. But making him, you know, kind of a down on his luck loser who blames Superman for his latest failure. And then there's the accident where he gains powers. You know, that part to me just feels like a deeper level of characterization and development that DC really wasn't doing too much at this point. Right. <clears throat> yeah, they, they rarely did, actually. You know, it was bring a character in. You don't need a whole big backstory. Tell him what he needs to do and get him out of there. Right. Uh, which brings up another question. Does Ed Hamilton get credit for creating composite Superman? Not in this uh, not in this comic. No, there's no credit for him anywhere. I mean, there's not. Kurt Swan doesn't even get credit in these days. But it, it's historically, since he wrote this episode, this is the first appearance that he actually create the composite Superman. He should get credit for it. Uh, absolutely, he should. But uh, interesting. Hmm. This is something. Uh, random thought pop into head. Ooh. <laughs> 
page eight, I love the Legion statues <clears throat> that they somehow you know, contain the abilities of the Legionnaires <laughs> and were able to transfer those into Joe Meech is silly, but yeah, comics. So Wonderful. Silver Age physics. Love it. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the page I was talking about when we did the splash <clears throat> the splash page, and I said later in the book there's a better one that I love. Yeah. It's this page, the top third of page eight with Superman and, and Joe Meech looking at those statues. Love those statues. All little tiny Kurt Swan drawings of mm-hmm. Brainiac and all the little guys. And they've even got Elastic Lad in there. Which is really good, and he's—they're all waving. And Elastic Lad is on the bottom. There, there are two. There's two tiers, and Elastic Lad's on the bottom, but his hand is stretching up to the top tier. To the top tier, yes. yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it would have been funny if all of them had, you know, if they'd like been glowing or something, but um, for their power. But all of them don't have glowing powers, so that wouldn't have worked visually. But, uh, uh, but I love this page. I think this page does exactly what we need it to do. Yeah, you know, he, <laughs> he says that he was given the statues when he was Superboy. Yet there is an Elastic Lad and a Supergirl in the statues. And he says later that they made the Elastic Lad one later. Right. Well, but, I think that that is weird too because, uh, and I need to go back and look at that because that's how a lot of times they would contact Superboy is he had these statues that he kept in his uh, basement when the Kents had the general store mm, when he was Superboy, right. uh, not the farm. Kent's owned a general store, and he had a basement where he had all of his uh, super memorabilia and a tunnel which took him to the woods so he could fly through the tunnel and go out through the woods. And Because he lived basically in a suburb at this point in Smallville, right. just outside Smallville and, in a suburb. And Lana Lang was his next-door neighbor. So uh, good stories there. Literally the girl next door. Literally the girl next door. But the statues uh, were given to Superboy by the Legion, and that's how sometimes they would contact him and know that he was needed uh, in the future to join them in the future for some mission. But uh, he knew about Supergirl and Elastic Lad while he was in the future. But apparently every time before he left the future to come back to the present day, Saturn Girl would do a little mental thing on him and she'd make him forget certain parts of his future right. that he would not, uh, sure should not know, like Supergirl or uh, Elastic Lad Jimmy Olsen. So I always loved that, how they would get around that stuff. And that was the beauty of the Legion. There's <laughs> always a kid there with a power that you need to get you in or out of a situation. Ter- I loved it. So Saturn Girl said, Superboy, before you go back, uh, there is no Supergirl. You don't know any of these people. Bye-bye. Have fun. <laughs> Just the fact that an individual under his own power could fly through the time barrier. Right. And stop where he wanted to. Don't need no stinking TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to page nine. I'm not really sure what's going on with the art on this page, but it's... It kind of feels like it was inked by a different person, particularly in the first couple panels. And I don't, I don't dislike it. It just sticks out in comparison to the rest of the story. Exactly. In fact, my notes on it are nice page, but somehow different. Yeah. And I don't know. Again, I like you. I don't know if it's in the coloring or the inking, um, or both. But uh, I think the first two panels are very dramatic. And they're obviously drawn by Kurt Swan. There's, there's no question that this is Kurt, Fa- Kurt Swan's pencils. But like you, I think it's either inked differently or colored differently or 
there, there's something different about this page. First two panels, very dramatic, the explosion, the lightning, and it's all in colors of yellow and white. Uh, you know, very dramatic. But uh, it advances the story nicely, gets us where we need to go. Yep. And I think a nice way to end part one, uh, basically showing him. And that's an interesting panel at the bottom, the perspective on it, of him standing behind the statue we had seen earlier of Superman and Batman fighting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the <laughs> yeah. With Batman with the jester's hat. On. <laughs> the jester hat on. I, yeah. That was a funny story too. One question, and this is probably going to derail us, but one question that came up to, when I was reading the story is, how well are the Legion of Superheroes known in present day? I mean, Superman and the other heroes know about them, but what about the general public? Do you know if that was ever explored in a story? I don't think so. I think that is one of those weird things that certain people, particularly in Superboy comics, uh, it was hardly ever addressed in Superman version comics, even like this or in Justice League. But in Superboy comics is where they talk most about the Legion. Mm -hmm. And I got the feeling that some of Superboy's friends knew about the Legion. Lana knew about the Legion. Uh, Pete Ross knew about the Legion. Obviously, his parents doing that kind of stuff. But I don't think the general public knew that in the far distant future there was a, a legion of super-powered teenagers. Hmm. I never got the feeling that it was general knowledge. That's why, actually, it surprised me a little bit here earlier uh, with Robin, the Brainiac 5 comment. Yeah. Robin, I think Robin, in his little speech to them about, you know, get up off your butts and go get them, um, I thought he showed some, either in that panel or a previous one, more knowledge than I than I previously thought Robin had about the future. Hmm. But uh, I don't know, I may be wrong, or it just might be, well, we needed Robin to do that, so yeah. he knows about them now. Holy nightmare. So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat? I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to From Crisis to Crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death-and-return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. 
Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, some of those really did suck, don't they? But from Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash fromcrisistocrisis, a Superman podcast dot com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com And that's where I'm going to push pause on the discussion for right now. Uh, Bob and I had a really great conversation and we ended up talking a lot longer than the normal length of an episode of Superman and Batman. And even though we did go a little bit off topic here and there, I thought almost all of it flowed naturally out of the discussion. So rather than try to edit things down and, and uh, you know lose good comments from Bob, I'm going to do something a bit unorthodox and unexpected and split this into two episodes. So be sure to come back next week for part two of my conversation with Bob Fisher about World's Finest Comics number 142, the first appearance of the composite Superman. Uh, In the meantime, you can find Bob's show, Superman Forever Radio, at supermanforever.com. As you heard in the past, you know, 50, 55 minutes or so, Bob's a really great guy, and he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to comics, uh, especially Superman. So be sure to give his show a listen. That's it for this time, though. We'll pick up right where we left off next episode. But until then, on behalf of Bob and myself, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. for listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. 
Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. This episode's closing music was Revenge, a track from Adventures of Superman, music from the original 1950s television series. If you'd like to get this song or the album, the best way to do that is to head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or even complete season DVD sets of Adventures of Superman, and Two True Freaks gets a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts.